Welcome to the Collections by Michelle Brown show. A show about people living between the lines, standing boldly in the crosshairs of their intersectionality as they create change. This episode is brought to you in partnership with the Center for Peace Counseling and Holistic Healing Services. Welcome to Collections by Michelle Brown. I'm your host, Michelle Brown. Each week, we'll be talking with people living between the lines, standing boldly in the crosshairs of their intersectionality, and creating change. Today, I'm joined by Pamela E. Alexander. You might remember Pamela from one of our episodes about the Ruth Ellis Center, where she serves as Deputy Director. She's also a community activist and the matriarch of a Gold Star family. She attended both Central Michigan and Wayne State Universities, obtaining human service degrees and business degrees. After 30-plus wonderful years in human services, Pamela is preparing for a new chapter in her life. As she pondered what she wanted her semi-retirement to look like, she decided to move out of the helping profession and become a Detroit entrepreneur. Pamela decided she wanted to do two things. One, to share what she knew about the coffee industry, and secondly, to make it a community experience. Her business, Cafe Ruby, will open in 2019 as the ultimate urban global coffee house and wine bar. Why coffee? She says drinking coffee is something billions of people do around the world every day. A cup of coffee seems to set a moment just right. It can bring people together over a pot at the kitchen or tribal table or even in the boardroom. Her goal with this new venture is to create a service opportunity for people to enrich their knowledge and coffee experience in the Detroit community. Pamela? Welcome to Collections by Michelle Brown. How are you today? I'm doing great, Michelle, and it is an absolute um, wonderful thing that you invited me to um, be on your show this evening. Thank you so much. Well, you know, you and I, you know, we've known each other for a while, and it's sort of like there are acts in your life, like, you know, you have that, that one act, that maybe when you're young, then you come into adulthood and you do other things and then you go into another thing. And, you know, many people think as, you know, okay, well, I'm getting towards retirement, it's over, you know. But um, you've done it a lot. I mean, and you have a very full life. Um, you have your mother. Yes. You, as I said, you're the matriarch of a gold star family. And you're very involved in that aspect of your life. How, for those who don't understand or know, or just have seen like seen the title, but don't know what a gold star family is, what is that? A gold star family, a gold star mom, is a mom who lost a child um, due to war. And um, as a gold star mom, I lost my son, Staff Sergeant Vincent Bell, just Vincent to me but he's known mm-hmm. around the world as Staff Sergeant Vincent Bell. He was 
a uh, U.S. Marine, and he was killed in action in Afghanistan November 30th, 2011. He was my only son, and he was my youngest child. So my mm. heart is broken, okay? Mm. And, um, but I'm healing. I'm healing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, and I think that, you know, I've had your daughter, London, on the show, and she's talked about your son. I know about your son. There seems to be in your family that commitment to service. Yes. You know, London is is very involved. You have always been involved in the community. And one of the things that people talk about, Vincent, is his commitment to service. Where did that come from? Was that something that you grew up with, with your parents? Uh, you know what? Uh, yes, I can honestly say that I come from a large family. Um, I had seven um, siblings, and so my father uh, was involved in the community. Our church that I grew up in was directly across the street from my house, so there was never an excuse for not going to church, right? And so, and we were were pretty much well known in our community, and we were expected to uh, be available to help out at the church or in the community, just in general to make sure uh, other families were doing okay. Um, So I I grew up with a strong value system toward education, uh, supporting my siblings, uh, my parents, very, very good parents. I had a good childhood. And um, so it's natural for me to give back, and I've always been that way. And so having a family, having children, this is just something they grew up around, and so it just came natural for them. Right, and, you know, and even in, in what you do, I mean, in many ways, I've, I've seen you been in parades, you've been around, you know, other members, uh, Gold Star families, and young men who are in the military, and you're, you're like a mom, and you're there yeah. at Ruth Ellis, and at yeah. Ruth Ellis, you know, you're not just a staff person. You're someone who's there and you're bringing that, that to it. But it also comes back to you being about community. You know, you know how they say it takes a village to raise a child. Well, in that village are mothers. And you seem to be a part of our community village. Yeah. And, and once again, it just comes natural. I mean, it's, there's not a child out there that I don't feel uh, motherly toward. I always mm-hmm. want to make sure children are protected, that they're safe, that they get what they need, that I as an elder, as, as an adult, as that parent figure, I'm, I'm role modeling to that generation under me, you know, whether it be someone who is four or five years of age, I'm seen as a great-grandma or grandma and an auntie or big mama. I've been called big mama. (laughs) Absolutely. And I I embrace, absolutely I do. And then, of course, uh, the the one that I love the most is just Mama Belle. Ah. You know, Mm -hmm. and even in the neighborhood that I raised my children in on the east side of Detroit, I was Mama Belle, you know, Mm -hmm. and if I of my house and I'm walking up the street um, to the party store to get a loaf of bread or whatever, um, I'm hearing kids hear, hearing kids say, here comes Miss Bell, here comes Miss Bell. How you doing, Miss Bell? How you doing, Miss Bell? Just utterly, just, uh, just respected. And so mm-hmm. in order to be like that, 
you know, you have to carry yourself a certain way. And, 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 and for me, it is an honor to be able to be around young people and, and have them not so much look up to me, but to be okay around me because there's, there's a generation difference. You know, there are millennials mm-hmm. and then Generation X, and then, of course, I'm a baby boomer. But within that network, I feel just as comfortable being around uh, millennials as I do Generation X as I do with baby boomers. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now, you know, it's like life is a circle. So, you know, you have, a, uh, you have a degrees from Wayne State. From, you've been to Central Michigan. You were you're working in human services. And now you're working in a nonprofit, and then you're talking about segueing from being a nonprofit into being an entrepreneur. When you when you were back there, you know, going to school, and I know that you studied urban planning amongst other things. Did you long term see yourself on this trajectory? Oh, absolutely. In fact, I I kind of stumbled into the field of human services. In fact, I started out with, uh, I was a student at Macomb Community College. I was a marketing student way mm. back in the early, what, late 70s, early, yeah, uh, early 70s. So my trajectory was really to go into business because you know how when kids are small, especially little girls back in the 50s and 60s when you used to play dollhouse and then the mommy and the daddy and all of that? Well, I wasn't quite into the whole mommy-daddy thing. I had a retail store, and so mm. my, my younger siblings would come and shop at my little store. But I always saw myself, you know, uh, going into retail. I mean, I did work in retail early on in my career in my early 20s, um, but that is really, you know, it, it just came natural to me, you know, and I always saw myself owning my own business. You know, mm-hmm. and in fact, many years ago, I did own a counseling business here in Macomb County uh, for several years. Um, I did uh, uh, substance abuse counseling for uh, Macomb County uh, out of my own agency for about two and a half, three years. But mm-hmm. overall, it's just it's just a part of me that is natural. It's something that I always figured I would do eventually. Um, after 30-plus years in human services. And, yeah, and I've talked with friends and I've talked with uh, colleagues. And, you know, and for some folks they say, well, you know, you're getting on up there in age. You know, you just might want to just kick back once you retire and, not, and have that hustle and bustle of, you know, getting up in the morning, going to work, you know, continuing on and on and on. But I don't know. I, I just think that this is just a nice subway into um, something that I haven't done before, okay? Mm-hmm. Something that I have been pre- preparing for for several years. I mean, I d- I've done my research. In fact, I'm planning on going to a convention in April on coffee uh, mm-hmm. in Seattle, Washington, so I'll be out there for a few days. And if I am successful and can raise the money to do so, I plan to go to another international conference in Ghana on coffee, you know, in you August 2018. Mm-hmm. You know, it's funny. When I was a little girl on the east side, in the backyard, 
I had a little store. I mean, I would get, I mean, my mother would let me, I'd have flowers, we had a cherry tree, and I was selling those. I thought, I know what you mean. I mean, I was that kid too, you know, and it was like, like you said, all all the little girls have, you know, oh, because someone had said, you know, well, even as a little girl, didn't you want to pretend and play bride? I said, no, I had my little store going, and I made stuff, and I, you know, and it was like, and people still look like, uh, so it's nice to know. (laughs) <laughs> that you are part of my tribe. <laughs> I mean, that is, so, you know, I think it's great. You know, I mean, you're in like a nonprofit. You're getting ready to go into this. When people tell you, like, don't you think that um, you just want to kick back or you want to do that, do you ever feel like they're putting you, their ageism is in effect, they're putting you in that box sort of saying, like, well, you know, why do you want to do this? You should just be wanting to to slow down and relax when that isn't part of everybody's DNA. So No, it's not mine. In fact, mm-hmm. a semi-retirement, I don't have a date to retire. I don't have a time period. It's, a, it's, an, it's open for me because mm-hmm. I like the challenge. Okay, I like being able to think about some of the possibilities, some of the things that, like, I'm a seamstress as well. I love to sew. Mm-hmm. Okay, and that was mm-hmm. one of the things that I did early on. I made all of my maternity clothes when I was, you know, going through those um, childbearing uh, years and uh, made clothes for my, ki- uh, for my um, high school friends. Um, back in the day when everybody was a hippie and all of that. So, you know, there are gifts and skills and talents that we all have. And even though I know that as a professional in the human service field, I had to, you know, not so much set aside my, my dreams, but certainly stay focused in a career that uh, was, without a doubt, I've enjoyed wholeheartedly working in the helping profession. I have. I know that I have, at least I believe I have, made a difference in the lives of some folks who have had struggles. Because, see, I've been on both sides of the fence. I know what a struggle is, okay? Mm -hmm. And I know the challenges that people face because I've faced those challenges myself. Uh, Being married at one point in time in my life for, for several years, many years, and then stepping out of that so-called secured system and becoming a divorced mom on my own. You know, so I don't, I don't take any decision that I make lightly. When I decide I'm going to do something, I do the research. I got all kinds of books. I, I engulf myself in this process. Just like going back to school, uh, there was something specific inside of me that says, you know what, There is so much happening in my city, Detroit, so much happening Mm -hmm. around the country and around the world, and it all centers around just a couple of things, land, okay? Mm -hmm. Policy around land. Who owns land? How are cities being redefined? Detroit is, 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 is coming a long way from where it used to be. Okay, because when I first moved to the city of Detroit, I've never really had a difficult time uh, as, you know, being a, a resident in the city of Detroit on the east side, my kids going to school, I had neighbors, I was in a walking community, 
Uh, I was involved in the school system. Uh, my kids got, a, like I said, a great education. You know, they were honor roll students. I was invested in my kids' education and invested in the community. What makes it a little different today, and this is not knocking folks who are coming into the city, but understand, there are folks who have been here all along, okay? Mm -hmm. One of those folks, uh, just, you know, living my life every day as a Detroit resident. So I'm not surprised that all of this wonderful stuff is happening now. I just want to be a bigger part of it, meaning that, Yes, the city is growing. There are a lot of nuances and new businesses coming in. And I believe that as an African-American lesbian, okay, that I should have every opportunity uh, that I can bring about for myself, you know, with my life experiences and my passion for the things that I enjoy doing. I enjoy coffee. And I'm not mm-hmm. I'm Starbucks, okay. Mm-hmm. I'm not to sell someone a cup of coffee with a pretty little picture on top. I want to. I want to. I want people to learn about where coffee comes from. You know, from from the farmhand to the brew to the cup, and the experience that one has when they're tasting coffee from Burundi. By the way, is some of the best coffee I've ever had in my life. Now you're mm. not going to get a cup of Burundi coffee brewed fresh from Starbucks, not knocking Starbucks, okay? Mm-hmm. That's what do you I think, wanted. Do you think that, you know, you've been here in Detroit, and, you know, and, and I think the other thing that's important is that young people see that and that they get it too. But, you know, how we had, like, Black Bottom, we had Paradise Valley, we had businesses and things that, that you know, that we had, it, and then it's sort of like, the black-owned business has sort of gone away. Do you find in some ways it's like reclaiming a part of a history that is African-American in Detroit to be mm-hmm. an, want to be an entrepreneur here? You know, I'm excited at the opportunity. My parents, when they first uh, migrated from Georgia, they came to Detroit. They lived on Hague Street. Well, you know, that's right mm. there, black. And then they moved mm-hmm. on into onto uh, Cameron, right off of Clay, which is where they brought mm. the in. So when all of that happened, they continued to move north, and they landed in Macomb County, okay, because so much disruption took place. You know, African-American families, and, uh, and this is not just me telling the story. This is what I learned in urban planning, mm-hmm. okay what I learned about how things, how policy changed uh, the landscape of a major city that displaced people of color and, you know, eliminated opportunities for businesses and so forth. So now that Detroit is growing, at, you know, by leaps and bounds, I really want to make sure that uh, African Americans, okay, people of color, people who have generations and generations of family who have been around Detroit for a very long time. I would like to see, you know, like along uh, the north end of East Warren over uh, by going into uh, Gross Point. That's where I, that was one of the first areas I lived in. There are so many storefronts there, and they're empty. Mm-hmm. 
They're, they're empty and they're abandoned. They've been empty for 15 years. But those same storefronts used to be, when I first moved to the city of Detroit, there was a florist, there was a bakery, there was a barbershop. Where I lived, we used to walk to the, uh, the Algier Theater. My husband mm-hmm. and my used to walk over into Gross Point with our kids in our strollers to the Woods Theater because it was a walking community. We'd stop by the Dairy Cream. You see, so there were, there were thriving businesses. So we, I mean, I lived in Detroit. I shopped in Detroit. We never had to leave our neighborhood because things were there. Mm-hmm. There, there were grocery stores. There were things that allowed us to be able to um, really grow. And, and, and I didn't grow up in the city of Detroit, but when I came into the city of Detroit and became a landowner, we own our own home, you know, we were raising our children. Um, what to me is a true Detroiter is someone who not only moves to Detroit, but buys in Detroit, raises a family in Detroit, okay, sends their kids to Detroit schools or schools within the community, you know. Reinvesting in Detroit is not just buying and building in downtown and midtown, but it's being able to look at those storefronts. And, yeah, you know, unemployment, you know, it's, 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 it's high. So why can't we make sure that our residents in 48224 folks who are looking to try to start businesses fill those storefronts up with businesses that could support that neighborhood. Because then you would have less people driving to those stores and more people walking to those stores. And that is what creates also the momentum toward a healthier community. So when I speak in terms of actually... Uh, my concept as a coffee house, it's really as an urban planner. This is mm. my idea of bringing people together from a community, from within the community where people can come and, you know, if you want to spend the, the whole afternoon there, it will be a setting where people who are into the arts, uh, want to talk politics, want to come in and play chess or checkers, okay, Whatever you want to do, being able to come in from the community, get a cup of coffee, get a pot of coffee, because I know exactly how uh, this concept will be, you know, as far as being able to sell coffees from around the world, because what I'm also supporting is not just about selling coffee, because I have every intention of roasting those coffee beans so people Mm -hmm. are getting best for their buck not just roasting coffee beans, but educating people about where coffee beans come from, okay? And, and having mm-hmm. choices for people to buy coffee from, from African countries as well as mm-hmm. in Central America and then, of course, in, uh, from Asian countries, you know, because this is where coffee comes from. They don't grow coffee beans in uh, uh, the Midwest. Mm-hmm. They don't grow coffee beans in Italy, coffee beans are only grown in certain parts of the world, in the parts of the world where people are the poorest. We're well, you know, yeah, yeah. third world nation. You know, and you know, I hear your urban planner part in you, but you know, 
and and we're going to go. I'm going to go circle back and talk about some of that. That the global part, but you also work with people. And as you envision Cafe Ruby, mm-hmm. how do you see it as being a part of respiriting or or giving hope to like some of the young people who you work with every day who in you know the gentrified city might not see a place for themselves how do you see having a place like that in right there in the heart of community affecting young people well you know it goes back to my uh, my upbringing and my idea behind community uh, it's not ju- it won't be just a coffee house where you come in and buy a cup of coffee and get a nice, you know, small plate sandwich or whatever, but it will also have an opportunity to create a, a platform for people to do community events, okay? And this is where mm-hmm. the community hopefully will buy in that this is not just a business started by an entrepreneur, but this is part of our community, and we claim this. So, mm-hmm. so... I say, uh, yeah, eventually I will retire. I don't see it right away. <laughs> so there will probably be another phase for me to do another semi-retirement. And by that time, you know, I, I won't put a number out there, but I, I can definitely tell you I will be grooming people and looking for folks to take over. Because mm. I'm only going to do it for so long. Okay. Mm-hmm putting the framework together and allowing the community, folks who will come in and either, you know, work part-time, come in full-time either as students or, or high school students or even um, stay-at-home moms or, you know, uh, uh, young women or young men who are just experiencing their first employment opportunity, paying a fair day's wage, in other words, you'll be able to make a living and support your family because it's mm-hmm. really not about me uh, being the type of entrepreneur, I'm, you know, to become wealthy. I'm not mm-hmm. interested in that. I mean, I, I mean, I'd like to be wealthy like Oprah. You know? <laughs> I mean, who mm-hmm. wouldn't, right? But mm-hmm. I'm not doing this for wealth. I'm not doing this to really make a name for my, myself. I'm doing this because it's a part of who I am. It's been there. The seeds were sowed sixty-some years ago, and as mm-hmm. I move forward, my kids have always known, you know, that eventually I would move into an opportunity or create an opportunity. Because I think you create, you know, it's part of your spirit, and you. And when the opportunity is there, you just continue to move through it, and 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 then you make it happen. Every degree. I've ever had, I've gone into workplaces where, you know, I've hired for one position and, you know, I see an opportunity, I create something where it best suits me, and then I blossom mm-hmm. in that environment, you okay. know. I did the same thing when I was working for General Motors, you know, so it's that creative side because I know that there's a need, you know, and for this type of business model, basically, it is for the community, because that's who I am. I want people to come in and feel at home, okay? Now, what does that mean? It, it, it's a coffee house, and so uh, the, the model will be based on, yes, we serve coffee from 7 to, to 7.30 or 8 o'clock in the evening, Monday through th- Thursday. But on the weekend, 
there will be a platform for entertainment, open mic, poetry, the art stuff, okay, and then private affairs on Friday and Saturdays. And I plan to make sure that the uh, rainbow flag is hanging outside in front of that door, up above that door, to let folks know that this is a African-American lesbian-owned business. Mm-hmm. That's important to me. I want oh, people to know that it is mm-hmm. owned and operated by a person from the LGBT community. And then I will say I will encourage other LGBT uh, business owners to get busy and create something that brings more people out. And hopefully not just the LGBT community, because in the cities that I've gone to around the country and even out of the country, you have a mixed bag of everybody wanting to, everyone wants to have a good time. So mm-hmm. it's not, it won't be a identified LGBT in the sense that it will welcome anyone and everyone who's affirming. You know, mm-hmm. and then there will be specialty nights for ladies. There will be specialty nights for uh, the gents and mm-hmm. so forth. You know, but this will, you know, and, and my, my uh, not to give a lot of uh, my secrets out, but, uh, uh, re- you know, uh, regarding the business plan, but the evening platform uh, for the weekends will allow for, you know, um, weddings, uh, you know, social events, you know, whatever mm-hmm. needs to be scheduled uh, for that calendar year. And, yes, I do plan to have an event planner. So things oh, that's are done in a professional way. Mm-hmm. Okay, now we're going to take our first break here on Collections by Michelle Brown. And when we come back, Pam, I want to talk a little bit more about Cafe Ruby and coffee. So we will be right back. This episode of Collections by Michelle Brown is brought to you in partnership with the Center for Peace Counseling and Holistic Healing Services, bringing balance to your mind, body, and spirit. For more information or to schedule an appointment, visit the Center at www.thecenterforpeacellc.com. back on Collections by Michelle Brown, and we are talking with Pamela Alexander. Pam, you know, I know, also know, I mean, you know, you wear many hats, and I know through your daughter that you're involved with the UN Association, and coffee, I mean, like you said, it's not grown here. There's a lot of talk about fair wages and, and how coffee growers are internationally, how, how they make their economic livelihood. When you decided to go into coffee, what did you, you know, and, you know, many people when they go into Starbucks, I don't, like you said, they don't care where the coffee comes from. It's like, you know, how much kick does it give them? But how much thought did you put into where 
you are going to get your coffees from and how important is connecting Cafe Ruby to the global social justice issue, you know, by what you buy, what you sell, and how you're educating people? Well, in fact, how I got started with this was that I just, you know, the whole idea behind coffee and how does it get to my table. So when I started doing the research, of course, I I discovered that um, what has happened over the last decade is that women from these uh, 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 poor countries, and and I'll say poor countries, um, Mm -hmm. they have become, they fought to uh, become farmers because in some, particularly in African countries, women are not allowed to own anything. They, you know, they're not allowed to own land. And so, you know, um, there were certain activist groups that fought for the rights of uh, women to become farmers. And in that, they became independent, okay, not, not wealthy, okay, but owning a strip of land where they could plant the, the coffee bean uh, um, and, and, and be able to harvest their their. Their, uh, their agriculture, and, and then take it to the market and sell the beans on the open market. What that did was it put food on their table. It allowed for them to actually take care of them, themselves and their children. That, to me, defines independence. So mm-hmm. they became organized, and that, to me, is the root of the whole social justice uh, uh, phenomenon behind coffee because it literally liberated women in parts of Africa, it, liber- it began to liberate women in parts of uh, Central and, and South America. It began to liberate women in the Caribbean, in the West Indies, and it began to liber- liberate women in Asian um, islands. So that, to me, is back to the core of who I am. So now, once they began to harvest their beans, then they weren't able to get a fair market a price or dollar for the beans that they were selling. So uh, there's this one particular organization that began to organize in, in um, the African countries, and it's an it's a, it's a it's a, it's a American black woman who decided mm. to do the research, uh, and she developed a company, I think it's called D&D Imports, and she became an organizer to support women, uh, African women, to get a fair dollar for their beans. And, and in doing that, she increased uh, uh, opportunities for them to buy, a, you know, a little bit more land. And so these beans go on to the open market of the stock exchange um, here in the United States, in Europe, and 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 so. Fair, fair trade is what this is mm-hmm. all about. You have companies, mm-hmm. and, I, you know, it's not to me, I'm not bad mouthing specifically Starbucks, but, you know, initially when these companies got started, they weren't paying a fair wage uh, um, uh, as far as to the farmers. And this is when uh, it was predominantly male farmers. And so when women actually became farmers, you know, it, 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 was, um, it became a social justice issue but there were, av- there were folks who were advocating on behalf of women um, throughout these different uh, areas of the world, and now they're, I would have to say they're better off today 
than they were 10 years ago. Mm-hmm. And there's still a lot more work to be done. Now, how does that transfer over to what I want to do? Well, I will yeah. only buy beans from um, uh, institutions or organizations that understand and, def- and, and subscribe to the fair trade market, period. And, uh, and in doing that, I am making sure that that's, that, that farmer is able to take care of their family, get a fair wage for their efforts, and to be, to be able to hold on to their land and, and, and take care of their family, you see. Right. Uh, and, and so for me, I, I'm sure now many of the, uh, like Starbucks and other companies are doing the same. Uh, I, I, you know, I'm not trying to compete with these uh, conglomerate groups or anything like that. Mm-hmm. That's not necessity of mine. Uh, for me, it's really making sure that people are educated about where this coffee comes from, how they contribute to uh, the, the world market. Coffee beans is the second largest commodity sold mm-hmm. on the market, period, outside of oil. Yeah, after oil. Mm-hmm. After oil. Mm-hmm. And me, and it's rooted in, I mean, it's been around for thousands and thousands of years, but over the last, I'd say, uh, 500 to 700 years, it's, it's also rooted in slavery. See, that's the other historical part about it. Mm-hmm. There were policies and laws and rules and regulations created that mandated, okay, free, uh, the only way these crops could survive is that uh, slaves, were, had, to, had to endure um, uh, working the fields, producing the product, and, and making sure that economies, I mean, there have been wars fought on the wholesale price of coffee beans. In mm-hmm. fact, 1929, the stock market did crash, and the second reason why it's crashed was because of coffee beans, because they had uh, oversaturated the market. And then they looked up one morning, and uh, 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 the beans weren't worth anything. Mm. And so, so yeah. it all comes back to our economics, our economy, you know. And um, so for me, it's playing that little small role, just a very small one, mm-hmm. uh, making sure that I do what I need to do to make sure farmers and, like I said, African countries, all the parts of the world, that I will be buying my beans from, okay? And mm-hmm. I, I, I'll work through, I will be working through several distributors, and uh, I, I'm, I'm just excited about the opportunity. I'm, I'm sure the Detroit area is, uh, Detroit is ready for this, because I'm not mm-hmm. the only one that's interested in doing coffee in Detroit. Uh, there's a, a celebrity, I think his name is Harper Hill, mm-hmm. a, a coffee shop. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, the theme here for me is really, you know, global coffees. It's, it's, I mean, because the experience in the Middle East, uh, coffee from Yemen, it is so delightful. I mean, when I, I, I can tell the difference between where regions of the world coffee comes from. How did you, how did you develop that? You know, because I mean, because I think that you know, clearly coffee shops are. I mean, you know, people are making them. It's one of the fastest-growing niches in the restaurant business. 
But, you know, besides, and, and it's so clear that you know more about it, you know, it's just not like, okay, I'm just going to go get a franchise. You really understand the history of it. But how did you get that talent to be able to taste the differences in coffees? I'm going to tell you, I'm not a coffee drinker. I mean, you know, maybe I just haven't ever had the right kind, but to me it all is like, you know, I don't like any of it. <laughs> but how did you develop that palate for coffee? I, you know, I've been drinking coffee, and, and, and also along with coffee, it's the style that goes along with I'm not into mugs, okay? So mm. when I serve coffee at Cafe, Cafe Ruby, it will be cups and saucers. Mm. You, will not see, you will not see mugs uh, because that is how coffee is to be served, okay? Um, how did I develop a taste? I, I've, I've drank it since I was 12. Uh, my wow. mom always draw, uh, bought Maxwell House, um, <laughs> you know, and then as I got older as a teenager going to, like, McDonald's and stuff. McDonald's has a very good coffee as well. The Arabica mm. bean is absolutely delightful. But what makes the difference about the, the bean itself is the soil. It's the soil where the beans mm. grow. So like in your African countries, and particularly uh, in uh, where uh, coffee got started, the history behind coffee, it comes from Ethiopia. And the coffee from Ethiopia, to me, has a kind of a blueberry taste to it. I mean, I can literally taste the berries uh, and also smell. It has a certain aroma to it. So I can taste blueberry um, 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 on my palate. Um, uh, it has kind of a wine, like a red wine taste to it to me. Um, it's, it's earthy. I can, I can, I can, I can uh, smell the the soil in it. You know, mm-hmm. uh, mm-hmm. as a, to Burundi's coffee, which to me is the best. And and every time I get an opportunity to to buy it, it's just like I have to save it, and 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 only drink it every so often. But for me, coffee from Burundi has kind of a it has a fruity taste. It's more acidic, and um, it has a full body to it. Um, it's very mellow, um, and you know it instantly. If I were to say, if you were a coffee drinker, I could sit down a cup of coffee in front of you from Burundi, and also a cup from Ethiopia, and most people would be able to tell the difference. And mm. also with coffee, I don't drink coffee with cream. Coffee was never meant to be drank with cream. It was never yeah. meant it was never meant to be I've seen people put three and four teaspoons of sugar. <laughs> oh my God. Mm-hmm. Oh you got mm-hmm. a little coffee with your sugar. It's, it's, mm-hmm. it, it was never designed for that. In other countries, like I was in Europe last um, um, last fall, um, I don't know if I ever seen anyone put cream in their sugar uh, in their in their coffee. And they don't use the large spoons, you know, the regular teaspoons. It's the uh-huh. smaller, te- half teaspoon size. Huh. That's so. funny because, like, with my mother, it was like you get the coffee, she'd get a cup uh-huh. of coffee, she'd put, like, a spoon of sugar, and then she'd have you put enough cream in, and, and which my sister still teases me, she'd say, put enough cream in it till it's Michelle's color. <laughs> and, you know, and, 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 that, and if it wasn't like that, it was mm-hmm. no good. 
you know. Yes. I mean, and so so that's funny. Like to me, I think of coffee and pudding, but you got to put cream or, or half and half or something in it. And you're saying that in other places they don't do that. No, no, and I don't do that either. Mm-hmm. And in all honesty, I've never. Once I started drinking coffee when I was a kid, I was because my mom would make a pot of coffee in the morning as she was getting us off to school. And I was one of those kids, you know, with the cups and saucers and all of that. And I asked her one day, can I have a cup? And she poured me a cup. And, and so she used cream and sugar. And so I watched her, and then I looked, and I says, oh. And then I took a sip, and I says, oh, this is good. She says, you might want to try some cream and sugar with it. I says, maybe a little sugar, no cream. So for me, mm. it was also a shared experience that I had with my mom. And when my mm-hmm. mom's, like, friends would come over, you know, um, they would sit at the kitchen table. And this is a big part of the African-American community. That kitchen table, okay, in our homes back in the 50s and 60s was about a pot of coffee, uh, and, of course, you know, uh, smoking a cigarette, catching up on the gossip, you know, reading scripture, whatever it is that you did as a stay-at-home mom. But that pot of coffee at the kitchen table was very, very, very important, you know, in the black community. So I grew Mm -hmm. up with how important it was to make that. Anything could be resolved over a pot of coffee sitting at the kitchen table. And we Mm -hmm. moved away from that, you know. So I want to grab back on to our culture, okay. Now, I know... It's is that you know it's almost 2020, and and folks are uh, still drinking coffee at home, but they also like the idea of being in a social setting, you know, being able to have a cup of coffee, hang out with friends, and so forth. I'm not a mug person. I believe that there's a level of elegance behind sitting at a table. You know, you can have a, a single serve of coffee and have the waitress continue to bring you, you know, a cup of coffee, or you can just simply order a pot. If you know you're going to be mm. there for an hour or two, order a small pot and sit there and enjoy your coffee, read your book. You know, if you're writing a book, you know, uh, if you're working on, you know, something related to school, if you're meeting friends, you know, this is the uh, atmosphere that I want to create. I want people to want to be there. In other words, I'll tell you what I shared with a friend of mine not too long ago. I want Cafe Ruby to be a destiny. I want, I want people to actually get up and want to be, they want to go there to be there as opposed to go there, drive there, drive by, get a sandwich, a cup of coffee, and, and keep moving. I want it to be a destination. And I think... Sure. That if we so you don't want the people that the lines like at Starbucks and they're just getting whatever and then, oh, and if, out if the door. Coffee you want, then you go right ahead. But if you <laughs> want, if you want to be able to enjoy a cup of coffee, okay, and also a, a much stronger possibility of making friends. You know, mm. seeing folks, new faces, old faces. I want it to be a destination. Starbucks is not a destination. It's not a place where people come together to socialize because that, too, is missing, okay? So uh, it, it sounds like a lot. That's why I'm taking this year to continue with the development of the model as well as doing pop-ups, 
you know, and uh, I've done a couple of them, several of them. I have several scheduled just in the month of uh, February, and I will continue to build on that. And throughout uh, the last few times that I've done this, people have literally just, I mean, enjoyed the coffee so much, but they also enjoy me sharing with them about the coffee. Mm. So, so what does a pop-up look like, you know, when, when you do one? When, when, okay, with the last one that I did, I mm-hmm. served four coffees, four different regions of the world, okay? And, and in doing that, it, it's already brewed, and I, you know, I, I will have snacks and stuff like that. I serve with cups and saucers, okay? Uh, if a person prefers a, a, a foam cup because they're on the run or whatever, that's fine, too. And I just simply ask folks, you know, uh, what, what do you think you would like? And because I have my little labels, then they're seeing things that they haven't seen before. Well, where is Burundi? Then I started talking about the country of Burundi. Burundi is one of those countries where it is one of their number one exports. But 85% of the people that live in Burundi don't drink coffee. Hmm. It was part of the slave trade. You know, and even after all these years, they only export it. Okay? And then there's coffee from the Middle East. Yemen, some of the best coffee I've ever had. You know, it's, 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 it's bright, it's hearty, it has kind of a, a spicy, bold taste to it. And when you're standing there, and, and like I, I was, and this uh, young woman came up who happened to be from Yemen. She says, oh, my God, you have my coffee. So that's what mm. she wanted to drink. And then she started sharing uh, a conversation with me about her homeland, you know, and that she's been here for a little while. So it's not just a cause. It's about the conversation around getting to know what, you know, what happens in that country. How, how, how did you make it here? You know, um, because food and coffees and also wines, they bring people to the, they, they, they bring people together to talk. You know, so in that arena, just that one particular uh, afternoon, I had so many different conversations going with people who I ordinarily would not have had any connection with, but it all happened around coffee. Hmm. So, and that's just on a small scale. To the extent that I had enough coffee, I think, for uh, about 50 or 60 people, and I ran out. So I know wow. an interest. Mm-hmm. I know there's an interest because people are interested in it's it's the one way you could learn about someone from a different country or learn about a different country, okay? And and, and, and learn that we're all the same. Who knows that? Who knew that? Like this one guy said, I didn't know people did this every day. You didn't know people drink coffee every day? He says, I didn't know billions of people drink Yes. It's the number mm-hmm. one beverage outside of water that people drink every day. I'm telling you, I'm not a coffee drinker, but I'm waiting to come, you know. (laughs) It just sounds like such a great atmosphere. Yes. Mm -hmm. So it creates that momentum. And like I said, people solve problems over a pot of coffee. It is part of culture. I mean, in some African um, countries, it is only the virgin woman, young woman, who can, who can make the coffee, 
and serve the coffee to the Mm. tribal elders. And once the tribal elders give the okay that the coffee, because it's a community thing. You know, when you visit folks like when I was in Europe, the first thing they, uh, uh, that I had the opportunity to do was to go to a coffee house and a tea house. And that's a big thing over in London, England. It is. Uh, tea time and coffee mm-hmm. time. And, and so, um, I mean, they have beautiful buildings. You know, I went to a, and it, it, was, it was a coffee house. And it looked like something out of a high-ended restaurant and all they served was small sandwiches, but it was the coffee. You know, it's a certain time of day that they drink tea and coffee. We don't, as Americans, you know, our thing is go to the drive-by, get it, and, and move on. As long as it has those pretty little, you know, milky pitchers in it, then, you know, <laughs> I've never had a lot. And certainly I would serve that. Okay, absolutely, because my goal is to... Uh, um, provide, you know, whatever the customer is looking um, to get. Absolutely. But this will be a coffee house based on traditions. So I try, I'm planning on incorporating not just the African-American tradition around the kitchen table and how that brought our families together in watching TV and the news and stuff like that. I remember my mom would make a pot of coffee just as we had, just as my uh, we were finishing up dinner, and her and my dad would watch the evening news together with a cup of coffee. Hmm. That was day. That mm-hmm. was part of our family ritual. You see, so that's why I know that bringing people together over a cup of coffee, or and if folks just want to come in and just see old friends and new friends, and also, as I said, it will also have that element. Um, being able to serve wine. You know, I, I'm, I'm, I don't want to impose anyone on anyone about, you know, the drinking and all of that, and, but I will be serving um, really good wines as well. That's, that's not necessarily my forte, but I'm sure that I could hire someone who could come in with that expertise. I don't know everything. What I know about is coffee. Mm-hmm. When you go um, to, if, if you're able to go to Ghana, well, that well, you you could be able to go out and actually interact with people who are oh, yes. growing, harvesting, and and you know get that feel for it. Yes, yes, I uh, absolutely, and in fact, I had planned to, and I don't know um, if uh, if I'll get a chance to do it, but uh, I'd also wanted to go to Cuba as well. Mm. I could, uh, in fact, I had planned to do that the earlier part of the year, but that's been mm-hmm. put on. Uh, for right now. Uh, so I have connections um, through Yemen, uh, through a distributor, as well as Colombia, and, and then D&B Imports. Um, um, I will be able to um, purchase all of my coffees from the African countries through D&B. Uh, my intent, um, well, I'm definitely going to the, um, to the Specialty uh, Coffee Association um, Symposium, in um, Seattle, Washington in April. And once I get there, I will network and learn as much as I can and just continue to move through that pathway of gathering information and also looking at, you know, the financial aspect of it and uh, continue with the pop-ups 
and then and and learn as much as I can. I know what I want to do. I'm open to learning as much as I can. Um, this is how I have appro- This is how I approached my career at the very beginning with um, human services. Now, God knows I won't put 30 years into, uh, <laughs> but certainly I will enjoy myself as I do every day, just mm-hmm. in the planning process. I already have a business plan. It's, uh, mm-hmm. it's, uh, it's, uh, it's in draft format because as I learn more, you know, I make those edits, and uh, I've made some good connections with folks. One of the things that I was told by uh, 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 a Yemen distributor was that uh, uh, what she suggested is that it's great to have the retail store, but if you really don't get into roasting, um, there's another opportunity to grow. Um, That is something that I'm very interested uh, in. I don't know as much about roasting, but for me, I need to get to the farmer. Mm-hmm. I need to have a conversation with the farmer. I need to be able to, to, to be able to experience that. Because, see, I grew up in the sticks out in the 60s and 70s, uh, 50s, 60s, and 70s. So working the soil and working the land, I mean, my father had a half an acre, and everybody, all my siblings were mm-hmm. So yeah. I know exactly what it is. It's, I mean, mm-hmm. we won't consider farmers... As a teenager, that's what I thought we were, you know. Mm-hmm. And um, but yeah, you know, I've always had uh, when I lived in Detroit, I always had my own garden. You know, the whole the whole urban planning, uh, urban farming thing, that is not new to me. Yeah, it's, mm-hmm. it's, it's 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 new. It's a new industry for the city of Detroit, you know. And it too is a multi-million dollar industry. It has grown mm-hmm. so much. Over the last twenty years, and it's it, it's 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 corporations, mm-hmm. you know, and and yet we still is a city. We still uh, uh, um, is a city um, that um, are a city that there's food deprivation, and yet we have corporations and that um, um, are in the business of urban farming. Mm-hmm. So for wow. me, it's really about. Educating people. Now, mm-hmm. why is it important to educate people about beans? Because this could be the beginning of many other folks deciding to, to get involved in this. I, mm-hmm. I, I would like to see it as a momentum. And eventually, just like they did in Seattle, I would like to see Detroit become that area where folks are have decided, well, let's do the symposium in Detroit because the symposium that's in uh, Seattle, they're estimating that there are going to be about 3,000 people coming from around the world. Wow. Who would have thought it, you know? Yeah. Wow. And that, wow. That, that is an economic plug for Seattle, Washington. Mm-hmm. Well, continue just like the beer industry in the city of Detroit. You know, uh, people, are they have their distilleries and so forth. And so eventually, hopefully, if they haven't already, they will have a distillery symposium. People come from all over the world from that. And that's what I'd like to see for the city of Detroit. And mm-hmm. I want to be a part of I want to be in the game. I want to be a well, part yeah. of it. Uh, that, that sounds good. Well, we're going to take our second break here. And um, let me tell you, I'm ready. I'll probably be at one of your pop-ups 
and just have a have a cup of water for me. But I'm going to come. Okay, I will. Just, and I it will. sounds like really, really great. But we'll be right back. We're talking with Pamela Alexander about Cafe Ruby. And we will be right back here on Collections by Michelle Brown. Collections by Michelle Brown airs every Thursday at 7 p.m. You can subscribe now and listen to the podcast on Blog Talk Radio, iTunes, Stitcher, or SoundCloud. Be sure to like the Collections by Michelle Brown Facebook page and mark your calendar so you never miss an episode. back talking with Pamela Alexander, uh, budding entrepreneur. Pamela, Cafe Ruby, where did you get the name? The name? Well, uh, actually it goes back to my upbringing. Uh, Ruby is a nickname that my dad gave me when I was a little toddler. He had a sister who, uh, who was his uh, favorite sister. Um, she was a younger sister. And because, I guess, I reminded her, I reminded him so much of her, um, he just started calling me Ruby. So huh. even until the end of his life, you know, he'd say, uh, Ruby, come over here for a minute, <laughs> Dad. And this is me. This is Pam. He says, you've always been Ruby to me, you know. So, mm-hmm. And, and mm-hmm. I embrace So the name really comes from uh, my dad. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's nice. Um, I know that you're looking at a number of, of locations. Um, there's so m- I mean, I think that that's the thing I can recall growing up. And now, you know, being able to walk like from, we were Catholics, so being able to walk on Friday, go to the fish market, go to a bakery, go to a grocery store. And now, like you said, on the east side, there's some places where you have all of this commercial property that's sitting there empty. Um all over, even outside of the areas that they're developing. What is the reception? Have you found, like, you know, we know that they're rushing to welcome in, you know, Whole Foods and everybody else. But is the city welcoming or is there a place that you can go to, a department that, or is there an outside entity that's helping you Incubate this idea. There, you know, I, what it is is I, I, I have some very good friends um, and a consultant that I'm working with. Um, I do know that uh, downtown Detroit is pretty much locked up. Mm-hmm. There are very, very few rental spaces in Midtown. Uh, my, I, I'm hopeful for mid, Midtown. But the price for renting in Midtown and Downtown has skyrocketed. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then I'm looking at Eastern Market, which is it's growing by leaps and bounds. It really is. And I, I like the vibe there. 
I like the hustle and bustle, and I think there's a lot of foot traffic. I also like the North End. I like the mm-hmm. North End because the, the train comes right up Woodward. I would never have a uh, business directly on a main street, so for me it's a side street. Uh, less traffic. I think the parking would be better because Detroit has challenges around parking. So the North End, and also I would, um, I've, I've, I've had thoughts about uh, the Seven Mile and uh, living those area. However, mm-hmm. there is almost zero parking uh, in mm-hmm. that area. So, um, so if I were to put it in a pecking order, Midtown would be my first. Eastern Market, North, the North End, and then of course Seven and Livinois. Mm-hmm. Um, have I been welcomed? Uh, yes, I have. People are willing to have a conversation. Absolutely. Um, the business plan seems reasonable. Um, structuring the finance to support it, and um, looking at an area like Midtown, there are still opportunities there. Um, but as the days go by, it gets more and more expensive to be in that area. Mm-hmm. Of course, mm-hmm. there's the West End over off Jefferson. That's a new uh, an, uh, an area that's being invested in. Uh, investments are being made in that area as well. I, mm-hmm. I want it to be an area where parking is uh, reasonable and that, um, you know, it's, 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 uh, and it, and it's growing. I really love Harmony Park. Oh, I do too. Oh, I mean, mm-hmm. that to me, that little section there reminds me of Chicago and they're in the neighborhood over by Boys Town in Chicago. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, you know, if I, I, if I, you know, as an urban planner, I, I saw five years ago that that was not just an up-and-coming area. I mean, there are heavy hitters. There are huge financial institutions that have invested um, um, in bringing in um, um, big-cost, high-ended uh, companies and, you know, folks who can come in and create large restaurants. Detroit is, I mean, it's on the move. I mean, so you can, you can go, like, uh, over by the, um, there's a restaurant that I really love in um, Detroit. It's called Vicente's. In that area, it's just a, it's a nice hub of restaurants, um, you know, that, a parking is fairly decent, but it's it, a lot of foot traffic, and so I enjoy that space over there as well. Over, it's over by the uh, theater district. You know, mm-hmm. I want to be somewhere where when folks get out of a game or, you know, they've finished at the theater, that, you know, if it's on the weekend, that they could come by and, and enjoy maybe a, a jazz set or something related to the arts if there's not a private uh, event going on. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, you could definitely see that. Or after, before or after, even like stopping and, you know, having that time to just sort of relax, you know, right. hang out, talk about it. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, it, it's just like it's, I, I mean, I can just sort of see it really, really happening and, and changing. You know, I'll tell you, one of the, the things that as I listen to you, to you talk, and it reminds me of the early beginnings of Avalon Bretts, you know, which, which was like down and what before it was Midtown and it was the Cass Quarter. And 
that about, you know, that commitment to bringing in organic and doing all of that, but also making it a place where people would just sort of come and sit and, you know, do it. And you see, well, it went from that to where now it's just like I was in Ann Arbor and there's an Avalon Breads, you know. And I went like, wow. <laughs> but, I mean, I really sort of, I can, I envision, I mean, I can see Cafe Ruby being that plus, you know, where you're sitting and you can come in. I mean, because that used to be the place where, you know, you come in, you can sit, and there's no rush and you have your coffees and having it. Um, how will you introduce, you know, I could see where I would get hooked on the histories of the coffee and where they come from. But, you know, I'm a bit of a nerd. But so for that, <laughs> so if you're at like a Starbucks or drive-thru McDonald's coffee, and what is, what are you going to, what's going to be there that's going to, to be that hook to where they'll come away going like, wow. And next time going, well, let me try that coffee from Ethiopia. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, you know, it comes down to building those relationships. That's why I would mm-hmm. make sure I have an event planner. Uh, event mm-hmm. planner will, will reach out to like meetup groups, invite folks to come in. Who knows? Maybe do something um, uh, relatively at a low cost or even free, you know, for mm-hmm. a, a weekend for folks to come in and just enjoy the space because it is about building a rapport, being the new kid on the block, building those types of relationships where people feel comfortable coming on in, you know, and 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 and, and probably having the opportunity to, you know, because people like their lattes and, and frappuccinos and stuff like that, those would be on the menu. In other words, I'm going to compete with Starbucks because I'm mm-hmm. going to have those coffees, those specialty coffees listed. But at the same time, folks are going to have the opportunity um, to also be have the experience of learning about the coffee bean experience from around the world, I will also have just a small section in the uh, the cafe to actually sell coffee, sell mm-hmm. uh, 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 beans, to sell the beans. Mm-hmm. Not, mm-hmm. I want people to take the coffee home and experience it because once you uh, ground the beans yourself at home, it's a totally different experience as opposed to just buying a bag of, you know, coffee that's already been grounded. So, now, so you really said, it's about mm-hmm. building a relationship with people, with groups of people. Now, you, you said that um, coffee is, is, is your thing, but you're also mm-hmm. going to have a wine bar. Are you planning on partnering with someone who has the passion about wine like you mm-hmm. do about coffee, or is it only going to be a limited number of wines, or how do you, how do you see those two working together? Uh, a limited uh, uh, arrangement for wines, possibly having uh, wine tastings, okay, mm-hmm. having come in and utilize the space, you know, so there will be a shared uh, a kind of a like, collaboration, you know, and, um, and then, of course, um, those wine tastings tend to allow people to select what works for them and what doesn't work for them. So there will be a, a selection that will also be available for retail, and also available to be served. Uh, because I believe in Midtown, 
you could actually, at least that was part of what they were trying to do a few years ago, rather than for, you know, uh, a new start business to have to go out and get the whole liquor license thing. There is a, uh, a slightly different process, whereas you could serve certain levels of wines and beers that are specialty without having to go and get the uh, full uh, license to serve um, liquor and so forth, because I would not sell uh, the hard liquor, just only wines. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So where are you in the process? And if people want to follow follow it, I mean, um, to learn where's the next pop-up going to be, um, ask you questions about coffee, you know, like are you going to serve this one or that, where would they go? Do you have a website for that? I, you know, I'm in the process of developing a website, but I do have a blog. Ah, I have a blog and, and, WordPress, and uh-huh. um, so all they would have to do is, is, is just go to my blog, CafeRubyWordPress.com. Mm-hmm. And, of course, and I'll give my telephone number out, 586-610-7306. Okay. We want to do that one more time, just a little bit slower. <laughs> okay, 586-610-7306. And how, I mean, you're going to do, how often do you do the pop-ups? Um, I have, I think it's three schedules for February, and I'm looking at two for, and I will post them on my, um, on my blog um, mm-hmm. as, I, as I get them scheduled. Mm-hmm. I'm working with someone right now to develop my website. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Do you think that on your website, and as you move forward, I don't know, maybe even in between on your website or by YouTube, something, will you be able to educate or introduce people to like coffees from and a little coffee history from different countries that maybe as time goes on, so that they'll to like build up their anticipation about what they'll be able to find at Cafe Ruby? Yes. Yes, I will. That is all part of my strategy. Also, I have some sample pictures of what I'm hoping um, Cafe Ruby will look like, so I will post those as well. And mm-hmm. uh, I have some great articles on just the, um, um, you know, where coffees come from, from around the world. Uh, kind of like being a connoisseur for wine. Um mm. You know, it, it gives a description of what um, coffees, you know, the, 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 um, what your palate should taste um, and, and, and when certain um, types of uh, coffees from around the world, when they're harvested, when the beans are harvested, and, 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 and of course, the open market sell of the, of the beans uh, on the stock market, Okay. And the level of cells that exist uh, from around the world when it comes to coffee beans, and how the yeah. the climate change is impacting uh, mm. beans, you know, and so forth. And um, so, yeah, I have articles that I will post. Absolutely, just as a way, well, of, you know, mm-hmm. bring well, I'll tell you, you've got me hooked. I mean, I mean, I, I'm, I like history, and I like to know about where things come from. And I mean, this is like 
I mean, I can see just coming just to hear somebody talk about, about these and how fascinating it would be. Well, Pam, I want to thank you for being with me tonight. I mean, this is, to me, a very exciting project, a very interesting project. I look forward to seeing your feedback on the different places that you go and to learn more about coffee. Well, thank you, and I really appreciate I mean, this is something I could probably talk about for the next three hours, uh, <laughs> but it's just something I feel really uh, passionate about, and, um, and as I continue to grow in my own experiences, I certainly will make sure that I'm able to pass this information on. So, Michelle, I thank you for creating this opportunity for me. Well, I can tell you now, one of my future goals is to start to have, like, live uh, recordings of collections by Michelle Brown, and I see sitting around a table with a pot of coffee, I might mm-hmm. not drink any of it, but and, and doing a collections by Michelle Brown, coming to you live from Cafe Ruby. So I would love it. I would love it. And you know what? As soon what? as my, the, the very first, the very first uh, uh, day, that's exactly what I would like for you to do. Well, you pencil me in. I'm on the books already. (laughs) I appreciate you, Michelle, so very, very much. The work that you do, without a doubt, is just unbelievable. And, um, and, And you are a blessing not just to our community, but to the Detroit community and for the state of Michigan. Thank you for being you. Uh, thank you, Pam. I will see you very soon. I'm going to be watching for the next pop-up. <laughs> okay. Okay. Well, you have a great evening, and thank you. You're very welcome. Bye-bye. Okay. Bye-bye. Mm-hmm. Well, we've come to the end of another episode of Collections by Michelle Brown. I want to thank you, my listening audience, for coming and joining me each weekend as I introduce you to some really incredible people who are from right around the corner or around the world. You can always follow the show on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, or Blog Talk Radio. And be sure to like my Facebook page, Collections by Michelle Brown, so you can keep up with the activities of guests past and present, know where they're coming. I'm going to keep you updated and put links as I get them Cafe Roubaix, so please do that. And join me next week when I'll introduce you to another amazing individual who's living between the lines, standing boldly in the crosshairs of your intersectionality and creating change, right here on Collections by Michelle Brown. Thank you, and have a great evening. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper, a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver? I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.